Hello, I'm Claire Poole and welcome to the Climate of Sport podcast, the show in which you get the inside track on all things sport and sustainability globally. Join me every week where I'll be chatting to a special guest about news, opinion and insights on how sport is moving to a more environmentally friendly future or taking action on climate change. Hi everyone and welcome to this week's edition of the Climate of Sport podcast with me Claire Poole. This week I am incredibly delighted to be joined by Omar Mitchell who's Vice President of Sustainable Infrastructure and Growth at the National Hockey League, the NHL, based in New York. Omar, welcome. Thank you, Claire. It's a pleasure to be here and a pleasure to join you on your podcast. Oh, it's such a wonderful pleasure to have you here and we've known each other for a long time and you've spoken at a lot of our events we've been at loads of meetings together and this is the first time we're doing a podcast together so I'm delighted to have you know 30 to 50 minutes of us just chatting which is so nice because we're both so busy and it's a great opportunity (laughs) I know and it's uh it's always wonderful to see you at all of our events we I feel like we don't even have time enough time to really get into some of the details whenever we meet and chat so it's great to have this opportunity and more importantly I, I just want to say over the course of the time that I've known you that I want to thank you for your leadership oh, in this. Uh, in, no, I'm serious in this in, in this um, enviro and sports community. I mean, it is your voice that's really um, shone a light on a lot of these issues, your platform here, Sports Positive Summit. And I feel like um, uh, it's, a, it's a token of your leadership and your expertise um that um that those types of events and this type of podcast is a success so thank you for your leadership claire i genuinely say that oh you're so kind and i you're so kind to say it and i think um to you as well because i think when i started working more in this space you were already well in it and we you know the very first meetings of the what's now the un sports for climate action framework and all the stuff you were already so far on this journey already. Um, So incredible leadership from the NHL for so long and from you personally. So let's start there. As you know, we've done the, you've been so kind. I mutually think you're brilliant. Let's talk about a bit of background about you just on a personal level to start off with. You've got this incredible role at the NHL. Where did you start? How did you land here? So it was, um, it was fortunate. It was a, um, uh, no, I wouldn't say by accident, but it was certainly something that um, it was unexpected to be in the sports and entertainment industry. So uh, my, in a prior life, as I like to say, I used to be an architect. I practiced and studied architecture for 15 years and recognized very immediately in, in that career that I had a passion for sustainability in the built environment and recognized that being a designer and an architect could only go so far. And I really wanted to have um, the business and management expertise to advance that agenda forward. Um, And that led me to another uh, graduate degree in business, business management, um, at a program at MIT at their School of Management. And um, it was at that MBA program that I was fortunate to land a fellowship Uh, basically a summer internship at the National Hockey League to quote-unquote manage their environmental efforts. And the internship, as this is being recorded in the summertime, back uh, 11 years ago was to go and and evaluate uh, all of our clubs and their arena partners' environmental sustainability efforts. That led to a a full-time offering, a full-time job as the first sustainability director at the NHL, and one that um, has transformed since I've been here uh, over the past uh, 10 years into director of sustainability to corporate social responsibility, public affairs, philanthropy, and now to uh, growth of the game and growth strategies around sustainability. I think that's really important because as a practitioner of this work, I've seen the evolution of where that sustainability journey that all of us practitioners talk about. We talk about facility operations and management and waste and recycling and LED lights. And I've seen that evolution in my career chart from that to how do we embed this into the business of our sport and our game. And I'd love to share some of those highlights with you as we continue the conversation. But um, uh, it's exciting to see how the NHL has shown leadership from the commissioner down 
on really taking this forward and saying that we need to embed this into our business practices. Yeah, incredible. So, and what a story from intern to vice president of sustainable infrastructure and growth people can take from that in terms of, you know, start and then you can end up anywhere. That's incredible. And it's it's also interesting because I'm seeing that right now in this trajectory of um, in the sports and entertainment sector, how there are jobs that are prioritizing sustainability and prioritizing this effort now that that didn't even 10 years ago. And that's exciting to me. Yeah, absolutely. And I think we'll talk more about that as well in terms of how the industry is changing. But I want to you mentioned there about some of the more operational sides, etc. So. Just to start there, then, in terms of, as you said, it's over a decade that you've been there. How would you describe the sustainability of the sustainability efforts of the NHL in that time that you've been there? I always say that sustainability is a much longer journey. Mm-hmm. One of the things that you'll always hear me say is that sustainability is about continuous process improvement yeah. and business optimization. Mm-hmm. This, this is a, uh, a never-ending journey. But every single journey has a, has a origin, <laughs> has an origin story. And so for us at the NHL, a lot of it was, A, having the commissioner really set the mandate, mm-hmm. saying why this is important for the league. And it was under his leadership that we launched our green initiative back in 2010. And it was around something very easily achie- achievable, which is food recovery efforts in our arenas. And that was important because it was a signal. It was a what I call a low-calorie, high-impact effort that we can get all of our clubs behind. Everybody can say, yes, we are committed to this. It's serving, it's benefiting underserved populations in our communities where we live, work, and play. And it's a sustainability effort that we can all hang our hats on. But that was just a beginning part. When we started to think about what we really needed to inspire change, we had to um, had to make sure that our house was in order. Mm-hmm. Our house was in order from um, from a back end point of view, and things like making sure that there was data collection and monitoring of and measurement of our impact. And that was hard. That was really really hard. Getting your house in order is very hard work because that means you know especially for the league and its 32 franchisees 32 franchise clubs across north america it meant getting them involved and in our case collecting of their utility and waste data um, which we ended up reporting in our 2014 and 2018 report it's those types of things that um while we do it while we did it um it takes a lot of time and it takes a lot of time to make sure that we're doing those processes uh, correctly. Um, so those are the types of things that we wanted to make sure that foundationally we had. And, in the, and on the back end or in the front end, make sure that we were using our platform to really advance environmental sustainability education to our fans, to make sure that people know why this cause, this issue is important for the sport of ice hockey. Claire, we need, we, as a sport, we need this. We need cold weather. We need fresh water. We play in essentially giant refrigerators that use a lot of energy. And so we need to make sure that um, we're addressing all of those concerns while using our platform to advance this to the millions of fans that watch our sport. Yeah. That's a long journey. And there's a lot of... um, bumps and a lot of things that we can do to more effectively optimize those operations. And that's where we are in this journey. We are now at a point where we have, um, we are advanced innovations like LED game lights, Mm -hmm. which use 30 to 40% um, less energy than regular metal halides. Mm -hmm. And we put, we've put, we've designed um, uh, protocols around those so that everybody can use, uh, can have a baseline for the implementation of that technology. We're slowly and surely ensuring that our our clubs know about uh, sustainable refrigerants. We are slowly but surely learning, knowing that we can offer technologies, products and services from our vendors that can help them optimize their business operations. All of those best practices and case studies and sharing of of, um, the folks who are doing it right, are really critical because here's why, and I'll end by this point. We see 
that over the past 12 years since NHL Green started um, in 2010, that we've seen a lot of um, leaders emerge. And it's really exciting that we have folks like Climate Pledge Arena and UBS Arena, which are the latest NHL facilities to come online as of this past season, really taking and advancing environmental sustainability into their operations and into their business. That is really exciting to me because it will form the basis going forward for what the next 10 years will bring. Absolutely. And that as well, the same as everything, isn't it? If people see it and they get around it, it becomes normalized. It becomes what the the gold standard is, but also what's expected, which is really important. And I think you mentioned a couple of points there and I'm keen. I know being the person you are, you want to look forward as well about what's next, et cetera, which we'll come on to. But just just to reflect as well, I think the leadership in two different ways that you've mentioned there, the leadership from your, the top level internally from the start, which obviously has paved the way for this, which we've spoken about a lot on this podcast as kind of a macro success factor to to doing really good stuff is having that top level um, buy-in. But also, also I would say your external leadership over the past 12 years in terms of, you know, the sustainability reports that you did, your involvement with getting international efforts like Sports Climate Action Framework off the ground in terms of being part of those working groups from the very start. And I think just to reflect on that as well over those sustainability efforts, whilst largely the way you're working internally is operational, there's also this strategic overlay that's been really important, I think. I think, um, listen, I would say that um, this work is um, daunting (laughs) (laughs) because it's hard. It's hard. It's hard work, right? We're trying to be change agents both internally within our organizations and we're trying to leverage our influence to drive positive change within our industry. Not everybody has the... um, all of the uh, all of the uh, the solutions. We all come from it from different aspects. Whether it's relevant to our sport, relevant whether it's relevant to the way our businesses are organized, whether it's relevant to where we are, whether we are in North America versus Europe versus other parts of the world. And I think we all bring a unique equation or a unique set of of um, of experiences to this. For us, for me personally, I think that. Um, it's always hard to be a first mover, especially because we were the first one to put out our sustainability report in North America that quantified the league's carbon footprint. Yeah. And I'll be the first to admit that it was great to put out the report, but we learned so much yeah. um, from those key learnings, even in the way that we collect our data and the way that we get our buy-in from our clubs. Um, we learned so much from how we operationalize some of the best practices that our clubs adopt. We learn so much from the vendors and partners that we bring in that A, help tell the narrative, but also B, help inform how um, this work becomes strategic and tactical within our venues. Um, And and again, for me to do this work, I think that it um, it requires me to be always learning. Yeah. You always you have to be a student of this work. You're never you're never going to be um, an expert. You're always a student of this work. The second one is that you have to be able to um, to navigate change effective, uh, you know, effectively, because um, as I said, this is con- constant process improvement, and so you need to be able to navigate how to speak to folks, how to navigate change, and how to sell this type of concept. And I think the third one is, um, this is a little bit more personal. It's um, having a lot of um, (laughs) the drive when things are not going right or when things are hit a roadblock. It's hard. Um, As I said, this work is hard. And sometimes you need to have that capability to take stock, reflect in what we've accomplished, because you need that energy in order to progress in the next steps. Yeah, 100%. And I think I think there's amazing learnings there for people just hearing you talk about it. He's someone who's been at it for a long time and, and has obviously overcome challenges along the way, which we'll talk about as well, I'm sure, in terms of those ideas. But I think that's a big thing for the, our community and the people listening to this podcast is that all we can do is the most and our best at any given time in terms of what we're doing. That's all we can do. And the the um, 
the the flip side of that is doing nothing, being paralyzed by like, oh, I'm not sure, so I won't do anything. And even uh, just today when we're recording the podcast at a, a football club in the UK, Reading FC have put a new kit out, which has got um, stripes on it. And they've got the climate stripes on their arms. Um, so, you know, to show the really famous image of the sort of heating line. So it goes from blue to red, the very wow. famous image of the climate lines of climate change and they they put that in their their home kit for the season and something they said on there which really resonated to me is we can't do everything but we also can't do nothing so this is something to start a conversation and like that is just reflecting on what you're saying I think is a great way for us all to you know continue to press on with this really important work when it's hard we can't do everything but we also can't do nothing two two really quick points on that you, on. we cannot let perfection stand in the way of progress Correct. We are not going to be perfect. Um, we're not going to achieve zero carbon emissions in the next two years. No. This is a, a ship that's going to take a long way to turn. Yeah. Okay. And because of that, um, you know, this, this requires stamina. Yeah, I think of I'm a marathoner. Yeah. <laughs> and this work is about being a being training for a marathon. Um, and therefore, it's important to make sure that you're able, you personally are able to recharge those batteries. Because um, when you look at the headlines today, we think about right now, we're recording this in the summertime. There is a heat wave going on in eastern part of the U.S. and in the U.K., um, climate change peril uh, conversations. There are lots and lots and lots of, of talk about um, issues related to climate change, and it can be daunting. And our leaderships, our, our leadership will come and say, what can we do? What is our imperative to do good work and to make sure that we're doing good business, uh, doing business better. And those are the things that we need to make sure that uh, we have the stamina to continue our efforts. Yes, 100%, 100% agree. So with that, in terms of having that stamina, let's put that into action. <laughs> We've talked about what you've been doing. What's happening right now? So either now or in the near term future for the NHL. So what's on the cards in terms of where your efforts are lying right now? So the first most important thing is when we think about the NHL's social impact strategy, we have a lot of focus in growing the game, yeah. making sure that a business growth is achieved by participation, getting youth into the game so that they become future fans. And that focus is manifested in a couple of ways. Growth of the game is very important, and social sustainability is really critical, especially as it relates to diversity, equity, inclusion. We know that we want to make sure that we're accessible to fans of all demographics. We know that there will be no clear majority, ethnic majority, in the U.S. and in North America in uh, by 2050. And so we need to be ensure that we are relevant as a sport. But additionally, we need to ensure that we are building vibrant and healthy communities where the game is played. And that's true for any sport. And so when we think about social sustainability and the equity side of that, that has to go hand in hand with how we think about our sustainability efforts. So the way that that tactically comes alive, the way that that is tactical, is that we've really started to enhance our efforts around um, things like addressing barriers to entry to our sport. And if you've ever played ice hockey, you know that you need a lot of equipment and you need ice time, literally in an indoor ice arena. And so we want to make sure that we're growing things like our used gear or equipment donation so we can get gear back into communities that may not be able to afford it um, so that they can play the sport and get involved and excited about the game. On the flip side, we're also uh, really positioning and championing all of the key learnings from the pro level, the pro rinks and bringing those key um, best practices down to the community rink level. This is unique for ice hockey because we have a lot of um, rinks, community rinks that where uh, kids play our sport. And we need to modernize that infrastructure by advancing technologies, products and services that can really help those rinks become financially and environmentally sustainable. Those are the types of tactical efforts where, we, um, where they intersect where the intersection of sustainability, social sustainability, diversity, equity, inclusion, and growth of the game become really apparent. And those are the types of metrics, the metrics that our organization is looking for to showcase why this work is so important. 
It goes beyond light bulbs and recycling. It's about really driving the business case for growing the game to a new subset of fans. That's exciting to me. Yeah, no, that's incredible. And I know like the, the environmental sustainability work with youth as well is, is really important to you in terms of, you know, again, that intersection of both environmental and social sustainability. We recognize uh, that youth and youth engagement is one of the most demonstrable ways that we can leverage our platform to really engage Gen Zs in particular, but millennials and Gen Zs around social issues and social causes. We have that platform to inspire change. All of sports has this uh, platform to inspire change. And that's why it's so exciting. And so one tactical example of that is uh, this past Earth Day, we announced a partnership with the National Environmental Education Foundation around educating youth around um, uh, activities, literally actions that they can perform within their communities to drive and positive environmental impact. And so that will be uh, infographics and curricula will be uh, forthcoming from that partnership. That's one example of where it becomes tactical. Another example where it becomes tactical is working with our partners. As an example, with SAP, um, our technology partner, where we um, aligned our virtual science fair um, around engaging youth to tell us how they can make NHL arenas more environmentally sustainable. And it's those types of things where where we get inspired by the youth insofar as they're coming and telling us, hey, this is what the NHL should be thinking about. Here are the things that we think are meaningful. And it's really inspiring to hear the feedback that they give us. We're not, even though there are youth, you know, grade grade seven and grade eight kids, Mm. but they are so passionate about this work that it is inspiring to see the next generation of fans that are so focused on climate. So if we can leverage our platform to educate them and get their feedback, it's a win-win for all of us. Yeah. And there's, I think there's a wider point as well that you've kind of touched on when you were talking about the Climate Pledge Arena before and now what you're talking about here is this way that the NHL and the league's being a catalyst for change and across a lot of different ways in terms of changing the baseline and, and the different areas you know around that and and the way you're working and is that how is that how you feel about it is that how it's viewed internally and externally and in terms of the work that you're doing maybe as sort of a a banner that sits above a lot of this work 100 percent. i mean we're using sport and our platform and our and our um presence in our communities to really inspire and drive this in this progress Mm -hmm. social and environmental progress and you raise a good point one example of that is the Seattle Kraken and Climate Pledge Arena. Being the, uh, the, uh, the latest franchise to enter our league and to see how they've really embedded both of those priorities, environmental and social sustainability, into the building operations, into the way that they engage their fans in their local market, into the way that they think about their philanthropic efforts, in the way in which they think about growing their fan base. It is inspiring to see how they've embedded sustainability and the social impact into all of those facets, even into the way that they hire and their executives and the way that they con- they're constructing their workforce mm-hmm. is inspiring. Whether it's about female leaders, whether it's about having more minorities at leadership levels uh, and throughout their entire organization. And that is inspiring to me because what I see is that the Kraken Climate Pledge Arena, they are creating a baseline. They are the standard bearer for what I think sports and entertainment, um, uh, sports properties in particular, are going to be in the next 10 years. And the last point I will pontificate, if if I may. (laughs) I love it. Pontificate away. I know that we're not talking about about his uh, forward future as yet, but is that this is not just the baseline, but it will be a hockey stick growth curve. Yeah. It will be, this has become the, the standard operating procedure. That's inspiring for me as I reflect on the past 10 years I've been at the league because it's that type of leadership that I see is already transcending a lot of how other teams and franchises are thinking about meaningful, um, meaningful impact in their communities. Yeah. 
Amazing. And that um, the future, what you know, the future sort of what we're looking forward to and, and trends that you're seeing, I think we'll come to towards the end. Because what I want to get past first, because I want to finish with the positive future focused, is is the challenges that you've overcome. So already you've mentioned there, um, just in our conversation, you've mentioned the sort of I guess the challenge of growth in terms of or, or even if it's not a challenge, let's call it an opportunity, the opportunity of growth um, and making sure you're getting across that. You mentioned the likes of access to community ice rinks and engaging youth, et cetera. So clearly you've got an eye on the future and and the growth of the sport and, and ensuring that new fans are coming at um, the sport. But is there other sort of let's couch them as challenges and then maybe we'll see if we can find opportunities within them. But is there other things that you're thinking, you know, these are things we need to get across quite quickly, guys? A hundred percent. And one one example, and, I, and you've heard this in my conversation um, t- leading up to this, is that um, getting executive buy-in for this work is always critical and it's ongoing. Yeah. It's not static. In other words, Omar, go do enviral work and that's the end of it. No, you always have to be, um, this work is always progressing and making the business case, especially to executive leadership, is always important. Mm. And the language that our executives use yeah. is through data, yeah. KPIs, yeah. Um, measurement. So how are your impact, what are your um, your tactics, what are your programs and your initiatives and your efforts? What are the KPIs? What is the result of those efforts? And particularly to folks in the C-suite, like our chief marketing officer, our chief financial officer, our revenue officer, those are the types of conversations where you constantly have to ensure that you're delivering the the language that they speak, which is data. And data around this work is challenging. Because sustainability is, as I said, a much longer journey. It has a longer runway. It's less, it's less quarterly. I would say it's even less one to two years. It's a much longer um, runway. And so we as practitioners of this work have to be able to translate our efforts into quantifiable data that can, that the chief marketing officer, chief revenue officer can understand and understand where this work lands in that trajectory. That's really important because if you want to get their buy-in, we have to be able to speak in their language and we have to make sure that the data that we're presenting to them is valid. The data that we're presenting to them is is real. We're getting the right data from our stakeholders, whether it's nonprofits, whether it's from our value chains, so that we can report against this, report against those that progress. Because like every other business, we are measured by those successes. We are measured by that um, by that progress, and so th- that's one tactical challenge that I fa- I'm faced with at all times. Yeah. And I need to make sure that I'm not just forward thinking, but I'm also goal oriented with measurable indicators that show success. Yeah. Yeah, that's incredible. And there's two there's two points immediately we can get out of that. First of all, the really pertinent point, Omar, which we haven't actually touched on loads in the sort of podcast series, or I don't even think it summits and things in terms of getting leadership buy-in isn't a one-time thing. Like just because they say, you know, Q3 2022, this is a priority for us now going forward, guys, that's what it is. It We haven't really delved into and you know we've got loads to talk about I'm not saying we need to talk about it loads here but I just think it's a really salient point to pull out is that priorities will change and in a couple of years time something might happen that means that whilst the buy-in's still there it's you know something else becomes a priority and there has to be decisions to be made so I think that um, really important point you've made that we talk about buy-in all the time of having that leadership buy-in, but it's not just a one-time thing. We need to constantly prove why it's important. And therein lies the business case. If you're in professional sports, it's a business. So the same as we you, we can't say, can we have a load of budget for this marketing campaign because we feel it's the right thing to do. We can't do that for environmental sustainability either. That's 100%. 100%. Yeah. So there's, I think there's, there's great points there. Yeah. The continual buy-in to lead from leadership and then also not shying away from the business case as well. Even though we all as passionate sort of stakeholders in it know it's the right thing to do, know it's going to pay dividends, know that we have got no other choice to do it. We have to be cognizant of, you know, the infrastructure that we're working in and how we have to work to get these goals met. So that's a, a challenge and, and one we can be thinking about. What else do you think? What else are you facing right now? 
So I think that um, uh, just another macro trend that I'm seeing, not just in sports and entertainment, but for all of sustainability and work, particularly as ESG, yeah. environmental social governance, transparency and reporting become more apparent. And there's more scrutiny around companies, both publicly traded, public or private companies. So this is true for any uh, any fan-facing or customer-centric type of industry is there's a, there will be scrutiny on your efforts. Yeah. And the point that I've raised about let, not letting perfection stand in the way of progress is very salient. Yeah. The reason I say that is because while there is valid scrutiny around our environmental efforts, there are, I believe, points where um, sometimes there are environmental actors or other feedback from other stakeholders which are um, that are saying that we're not doing enough. And that's challenging as a practitioner of this work because we need to make sure that we involve everybody in our journey and acknowledge that this is part of a longer journey. And we're not going to, as I've said, we're not going to change the, um, we're not going to ch change the direction of the ship overnight. And environmental progress comes in stages. Um, uh, for us, it's about educating, using our platform to educate. It's about, you know, embedding the sustainable business practices where it's practicable, knowing that it's a longer, uh, it's part of this longer step. And sometimes um, we do get, we do get uh, feedback. We do get um, uh, the type of, um, you know, responses from, from groups that say that we are not doing enough or we may not be doing the right thing or... And that's a challenge because we don't have unlimited budget. We don't have unlimited time and resources. We have very limited time, talent, and treasure. And so we need to make sure that what makes our roles really, really pertinent is the balance of all of those relative to what you just stated before, which is the business objectives of the league. What makes us really, really, really good at what we do is to be able to manage time, talent, and treasure with the goals and objectives of our org and the new objectives or, or the pressing objectives of our organizations to advance change. Yeah, absolutely. That is, that's what makes us really good at what we do. I'm not saying that I'm, I'm really good at this. I'm still a student of this work, as I mentioned. But that, <laughs> is, but that, is, that is how every practitioner within sports and entertainment should be thinking about these efforts because it is a balancing act. Yeah, and I think I think you're absolutely right. And I think we have to we have to be comfortable with our feet being held to the fire on some of this stuff. I think we're working we're trying to essentially change the way a really large industry works in terms of the, you know, the way we do business and the way we operate and the way we engage with fans and the way that we report. Like it is seismic change that we're talking about here. And I think often, as you said, as practitioners, we get we focus on, which is great, the day to day and and tackling things as they come. But often, sometimes, often when when things do come out where we are held, you know, it's not good enough, it's not fast enough, etc. Our instinct is, and I hear this a lot with the UN Sports for Climate Action Framework, and you know, people have loads to say about that. And I think if you could see all of these people, how many people working behind the scenes, and how long it's taken, and how much effort and blood, sweat, and tears has gone into getting this where it is, and it's never going to be good enough. But we have to be comfortable with the fact that those people play an important role as well. Because if people aren't pressing us, and and people aren't saying, you know, people are saying, oh, wow, you guys are incredible. You guys, you know, you're so great. I think it's important that that happens but of course it's important that it happens constructively and it's important that it happens with factual information etc so i think i think again another great point there is just that um if you're doing this work properly then you are pushing boundaries you're making new things happen and you're doing stuff that maybe hasn't happened before there is going to be pushback but we kind of need to get comfortable with that i guess and to your point that you mentioned earlier you know we're trying to turn around a tanker so it is you know we have to again be comfortable with the fact that it's not going to happen overnight and we are going to not be doing the right things all the time but as long as we're humble as long as we're transparent as long as we're doing it with the best of intentions and and with the best information to hand what more can we do in many ways i agree 100 percent. and and again um we shouldn't be thinking about yes there's an urgency to these efforts because of what we're hearing from scientists and everything else but the fact is is that um this this takes time 
Yeah. This this takes time, and so um, uh, I wholly support how you're how you've framed that up because um, uh, again, <laughs> it's hard. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I, you know, I think this, the UN example, I, our sport positive leagues, we we did that work. It was the first time really work like that happened in terms of us ranking football clubs here in the UK and in Europe based on their environmental sustainability metrics. What, the whole point of that for me was to to get people talking about it. And so before it even happened, before it was even published, it was a success to me because people were talking about it. But the amount of feedback I get of like, you've missed this, you've missed that, that's wrong. How can you possibly say this when it's that? And I'm like, this is not perfect, guys. It's a start. <laughs> I've never said this is a perfect thing, but I'm just, we're trying to start a conversation. And I think often because we're human beings, the negative stuff sticks with us a lot more than the positive stuff, you know, like so many positive you could get a thousand positive comments but the one negative one will stay with you and you'll that will be rolling around your head for months and i think we have to we have to focus on the fact that there's a lot more positivity behind it so and i i wholeheartedly agree and even to build off of that more so what i'm seeing now again not for, this is for present day yeah one yeah. of the things that are that's inspiring to me around this that the fact that yes there are there might be some pushback or we get this um, this type of uh, feedback from external forces or external folks. I'm also seeing positive things within the industry. So one example of that currently um, is the way that athletes are engaging on social issues, whether it's on sustainability, on social justice, on on all, all levels of social justice or so social uh, impact efforts. Um, in our league in particular, um, ice hockey, yeah. what we're seeing is that um, more players are using their voice to talk about these these issues. That came out of, um, I think the catalyst for that came out of the social justice reckoning in the summer of 2020 here in the U.S. and in North America, where athletes were using their voice to talk about um, these social justice concerns. And I feel and I perceive that more and more um, as we continue, that more athletes are using their voice to champion these efforts. That's exciting to me. Yeah. And I see folks like eco-athletes and I see groups like um, Players for the Planet that are really um, are adopting ambassadors to talk about these concerns because they are going to be the voice for this change. Um, I'm inspired by my colleague, Andrew Ferenc, who used his voice, you know, 15 years ago to really start this movement around his his cohorts in the NHL and also to drive this program, our NHL Green Platform. Yeah. And even from then to now, uh, it's taken some time, but I'm now seeing this movement. And that's exciting to me because we can only do so much within our organizations. To your point, the soccer federations can only do so much. But if you get the athletes to talk about this, I've always said that that's really inspiring because their voice can go a long way and they are getting the um, knowledge to talk about this effectively and authentically. So that's that's inspiring to me. Yeah, absolutely. So this, I think we've already sort of started because that that idea of athletes speaking out more is kind of definitely a more recent trend that we're seeing. But what, again, from your position in North America within the NHL Green team, but also maybe more broadly in sport and sustainability. What trends, what attitudes, what happenings do you think are going to shape both the industry, I guess, at large, but also the work that you're doing at the NHL? So uh, there's a couple of trends and, um, uh, and I can speak to this because I'm actually seeing this in real time in my own job. The first is that uh, I'm seeing a lot more um, transparency or request for transparency within sports and entertainment, right? Now, as I talked about the macro trends within ESG and disclosures, um, governmental SEC mandated disclosures and whatnot, which may not impact us in the sports and entertainment sector because we're privately owned um, organizations. But as a broader trend, transparency is going to become really important. We see things like the Green Sports Alliance and their Play to Zero campaign, which is all about rewarding um, sports properties and venues around sustainable actions and activities. We're seeing a lot more um, metrics reporting from 
environmental um, from groups that are championing transparency within reporting and talking about their efforts quantifiably, yeah. um, both on both the in the European side as well as in the U.S. side. Yeah. I see that that's a broader trend, which will mean yeah. that the industry needs better data. Yes. To report against. Yeah. And when I say data, I mean things like not just electricity and natural gas and waste and recycling, but better reporting of those types of data into uh, platforms that will give yield out um, actionable insights, yeah. right? It will mean getting better data from our supply chain, yeah. especially from scope three emissions, because we know and recognize that um, we can impact known emissions, yeah. known greenhouse gas emissions, but there's a whole subset of material emissions that are material to our sport that we have a hard time quantifying and qualifying. And things like the UN Sports for Climate Action Framework helps sports properties distill that. But as an industry, we need from throughout the value chain to provide that information so sports and entertainment can, can have that um, data readily available to be transparent. Yeah. That type of metrics is one key key objective. The second thing that I see as a big one is we're seeing a lot more brands, corporate partners, wanting to use the sports platform to tell authentic um, narratives around building vibrant and healthy communities, right? And engaging fans and customers at a hyper-local level. Yeah. This is important for two reasons. Mm -hmm. The first is, is that sustainability is hyper-local. Yeah. Sustainability must be hyper-local. Yes, we have to save the rainforests. Yes, we have to save, um, you know, uh, mangrove forests in Indonesia and everything. But for sports properties and for us to make the value, the value case for why we're doing this work, it has to be important for us to demonstrate why it's meaningful in the communities where we live, work, and play. Yeah. And so, and, co and corporate partners, corporates want to tell that, star that story and that narrative. So we should capitalize on that storytelling, on their efforts, on aligning with them and their resources, financial included, but financial and people and everything, to really drive that agenda forward. And that's exciting to me because they are seeing the writing on the wall that we're seeing. Yeah. Their future customers are interested in this work. Yeah. Their future customers want to be able to tell uh, or want to align themselves with brand with shared values. Yeah. And they themselves um, want to embed sustainability within their own um, employees and employee engagement and within their values. Yeah. Sports and media rights holders can help advance that agenda. Yeah. That's a big, big thing because then we can generate revenue off of it. We can storytell around it. We can tell our platform to influence our millions of fans that watch our games and our yeah. events. Absolutely. And I think that's a, it's a major opportunity, but I think there's also a challenge within that in terms of doing that authentically, isn't there, with organizations? And I think that's something we're seeing more and more now in terms of it, it very interestingly challenges from both sides. So sport that's doing a lot around it, challenging their sponsors, potential sponsors around that alignment, if they want those purpose-driven activations and making sure that makes sense. But also more and more now I'm hearing of sort of brands saying, we're very interested in aligning with you you know sponsoring a sport or a tournament or a league etc but are you does your ethos align with ours in terms of this and i think that's really interesting in terms of that purpose-driven activations and that's why it's really important to have your house in order yeah from a sports organization you have to have your house in order yeah. you have to make sure that you're doing the right things so that there is that authentic um connection with the when brands do come up and say what are you doing how are you doing it what is important to you because um uh, yes, we talk about shared values between brands and media rights holders or sports properties. Yeah. But um, at the end of the day, everybody is going to be accountable for this work. And so we need to make sure that we're elevating, we're doing, again, we're not, we're not, um, we're not, we can't boil the ocean, but we need <laughs> to make sure that we're doing our steps in the right progress and we have a plan and a path yeah. to get to make sure that we're doing things viably. Yeah. And what about, I know what's really important to you generally, and we talk about it a lot as the kind of innovation side of things. What about that? I'm sure you were getting to that and I've jumped ahead of you. No, this is great. And if any, as you've heard me over the past 10 years talk about no, this, 
we always talk about sustainability equals innovation, yeah. right? And innovation is um, not just in technology, which I can talk about that till tomorrow, but <laughs> innovation in things like building uh, building people and culture within our organizations yeah. to reflect the diversity, equity, inclusion that we strive and we aspire to have, right? So that type of innovation means things like building ERGs within our organization, employee resource groups, making sure that we're cultivating the um, the brand value or the um, the um, the brand meaning or the brand values that that are that are important to us. So that innovation is happening. But the technology side is equally as important. And I see enablers, things like um, uh, it's exciting to me that when we used to think about sustainability innovation, the biggest barrier to entry was money. Yeah. It was too expensive yeah. to put in all of the sustainable stuff that you wanted, whether it was battery storage, whether it was EV charging stations, whether it was LED lights. And over the past 10 years, as we've seen sustainable innovations really rise, we've seen the decline of a lot of those price points to make those um, technologies more attainable so that we can deploy it in our venues, we can deploy it um, particularly in our business operations. That's exciting to me because as the cost of that innovation goes down, the cost of that um, implementation and adoption goes up. And um, and so innovations as as simple as 5G technology in our arenas that will make our venues much more um, uh, much more um, uh, connected and much more able to connect collect data in real time is something where we can see change meaningful change yeah. um, data collection. Uh, technologies that allow for data collection. We're working with our partner on that uh, to modernize our data pl collection platform. As more of these technologies become um, less, uh, become more mature yeah. within their specific uh, industries, we're going to see more implementation. That's going to enable sustainability in our sector. Amazing. And that's great to finish on as well. I've got one last question for you before we finish, but I think um, what's come through here in in different forms as well, as you mentioned, is the importance of data as almost a currency in today's world, you know, whether it's reporting, whether it's having the information to make the decisions, whether it's across, you know, sustainability, comms, sponsor, every different department, like data is king slash queen now, isn't it, in terms of what we need to do with that. And I think that point to finish on there in terms of the innovation and, and the need around data is something we all need to think about a lot because we're all at the nexus of sport and sustainability trying to get as much data and put things in place to collect more data to to manage what we measure and make better decisions in the future and make sure we're making informed decisions and that we're doing the right thing so I think again another nugget of gold from you Mr Mitchell in terms of that the importance of that as well and kind of distilling it in terms of data as a center of reporting, as a center of innovation, is that, you know, across a lot of different areas that we're working in, actually. Data is king. Yeah. Or queen. Queens. Or queen, excuse me. Or queen. <laughs> yeah. Thank That's you. Right. It, is, it is the language that our executives use, our yeah. chief marketing officers, our CEOs, our presidents. Yeah. And they expect us, practitioners of this work, to be able to speak in that language. Yeah. It is the currency by which we are able to be transparent to public, uh, to external stakeholders about this work yeah. that will make us accountable, but yeah. also will be able to share how we move this forward. Yeah. Because I will say that I think in the past 10 years, it was a little bit difficult to quantify that data. Yeah. And I think that that's a key learning, right? Is that we needed to take that much time yeah. in order to understand what was material material as a concept, material yeah. impacts within our business, and to understand how we could get the data to uh, uh, to be transparent. Yeah. Data is king. And so practitioners of this work, we need to speak that language. We need to be able to continue to innovate around that language. And we need to, to ensure that our, our, our uh, value chain can help us get that data so that we can translate it effectively. Definitely, definitely. I mean, I love talking to you because it makes me reflect on so many things and there's been so much amazing nuggets that have come out, come out of that 
talk with you and it makes you know even just like the lead reflecting on leadership buying and that being a, a ongoing effort that looking at data, thinking about data in a slightly different way. There's been so much great stuff that's come out of that. So I'm so grateful for you to take in the time. And go on, you've got something I'll say, and I've got one last question. Go on. I just want to say that um, what's been inspiring and, ha- and what's been exhilarating for me is that a lot of sports properties, particularly in North America, have really been on this movement together. So it's not just the NHL, but it's inspiring to see how this movement has grown, whether it's under the auspices of the Green Sports Alliance, whether it's under the auspices of Sports and Sustainability International, whether it's under the auspices of the Natural Resources Defense Council when they started their, their efforts in earnest. And it's really, really inspiring to see how we're all moving in this trajectory. Um, that's another key learning over the past 10 years that um, that's meaningful to me. Yeah. And um, we're not doing this in a silo. No. I've got my, you know, we've been talking, you and I have been talking. Yeah. The Sports Positive Summit is one that we've seen where a convening where everybody comes together to talk about these issues. The UNFCCC Sports Climate Action Declaration and the working groups that came together to make that happen all was based on the knowledge of these participants coming together. That's really inspiring. And I hope that that continues on the hockey stick trajectory. Yes, that's um, a nice hockey stick. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's a really important point. I think often we can, we focus on the challenges and how difficult things are and where we are and what we're facing right now. But actually to reflect on how far things have come is really important and, and how far more we can go when we work together. So my last question for you is just, You've been at this a long time. There's been so much in there already that I think, you you know, we could, there's so many learnings that people will have taken away already. But just for people who I get contacted by every day who were starting this journey, so you in 2010 now getting to work, but in a different landscape where a lot more organizations are further ahead and maybe they feel further behind or they're at this a bit late, whatever it is. What's your advice to them in terms of getting to grips with this stuff? The first is, is um, I would say, again, don't try to boil the ocean. Mm-hmm. I think that um, uh, there are fundamental things that like we've talked about, executive buy-in, making sure that you understand what's material to you. Think of low-calorie, high-impact efforts that can, um, that can build the business case for sustainability. I think those are all critical, making sure that your house is in order. But tactically, in order to do all those things, tactically, leverage the resources that are available to you. The Sports for Climate Action framework offers literally a framework for doing this. There are these groups that I mentioned, Green Sports Alliance, Sports and Sustainability International, who have practitioners who will help. There are folks like myself and other folks who have done this for a long time who would gladly give an hour of their day to talk with uh, groups and share how their, their story, as we're doing right now on this pod, and so um, there's a group of folks, what's, uh, as I mentioned in the past point, these group, these folks, me included, are so inspired by these efforts and we want to help. And that's what's so great about our community yeah. is that we want to make sure that we're moving the industry forward. The rising tide raises all ships. And that is what is so powerful. Yeah, the collaboration point is a great one to end on. So let's end there. Thank you so much for your time, Omar, as always. So enlightening, so much insight and so much knowledge and experience. So thank you to Omar Mitchell, VP of Sustainable Infrastructure and Growth at the National Hockey League. And we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to the Climate of Sport podcast. Please like and subscribe and get in touch if you want to share information about the work that you're doing. If you want to appear as a guest or you want to recommend guests or you just have ideas of conversations you'd like us to have, you can get in touch by emailing info at sportpositivesummit.com.